Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. With all of the joy and the warmth in my heart, I say welcome back to Pull Up the Thread podcast. I am so, so excited about this episode. If you really didn't experience much of a gap in between the previous episode, episode 17, and this one, that's awesome. Welcome back anyways. For those of you who have been waiting a while for this episode, yeah, me too. Uh, I've been traveling extensively this year, um, over the past six months especially, and most recently, just last week, I got back from Italy. So my boyfriend and I went to Italy again, so that made it once every six months. We were going to Italy, and we went to Lake Como, where we got engaged on the back of a boat in front of Villa del Valbianello. If you know about Villa Villa del Valbianello, you know how iconic that is. If not, uh, two words, Casino Royale or um, Star Wars, (laughs) that this villa is where a lot of uh, epic, huge, uh, renowned scenes uh, in Hollywood have been filmed. So anyways, yeah, we got engaged somewhere really beautiful and special, um, somewhere uniquely new to the both of us, uh, but still just absolutely romantic and sweet. And so we got engaged there. We went to Milan. Uh, We experienced tons of art as you can't, you know, you can't avoid in Italy and then Sicily for several days. And which, you know, the Key West of Italy loved it. And then we finished out in Spain eating tapas and drinking sangria and mulled wine. So that was absolutely fantastic. And the reason that I'm giving you the brief synopsis of just one of the trips that I've been on in the last few weeks um, is because the story that I want to bring you today is one of a painter that I learned a little bit more about on this last trip to Italy. And that painter is Leonardo da Vinci. Now, I know Leonardo da Vinci as the painter behind the Mona Lisa. I never really thought about it that he's the painter behind the Last Supper painting, uh, the, the iconic painting of Jesus and his 12 disciples having their last meal, and he's saying the infamous words, one of you will betray me. And so I didn't really think about that very much. And I think that it's fascinating, and the reason why I want to give you a little bit more background on Leonardo da Vinci before... I teach you uh, on this episode specifically is because da Vinci was not a renowned painter. He was actually a polymath, a jack of all trades. He was good at a lot of different things. He knew a lot of details, specific details about drafting things. He was an engineer. He was a scientist. He was a theorist and a sculptor and an architect. And the thing was, he came from a family of no money. He was born out of wedlock. So his mother had sent him into Florence, into the city to try to learn from somebody. And he ended up becoming an apprentice of an Italian painter and a sculptor. But here's the kicker. At the time, he really wasn't revered as an incredible painter. He was revered as an engineer, which is why he was brought to Milan, was to be an engineer. Milan was a was a river city, and he was brought into Milan to be able to engineer bridges and engineer waterways and systems um, to help them move things from place to place. Um, he actually, what people don't understand is, is da Vinci was one of the people inventing concentrated solar power. He was inventing uh, flying machines and armored flight. Uh, like, like this all gets attributed to da Vinci. Crazy. And yet 
what does he become known for? The Last Supper, the Mona Lisa, uh, the Vitruvian Man uh, drawing, the Salvatore Mundi, which is the most expensive painting to ever sell at public auction. It went for like $450 million. That's nuts. That's pretty great money for someone that at his time was not revered as a painter. He wasn't even seen as a painter. And so the whole reason for him ending up working for the Sforza family out of the castle in Milan was because he was brought in to be an engineer first. And then on his off time, on off season, when he couldn't be doing those things, he promised that he would paint. He said, you know, I'll contribute my works as a painter, improving the space. And that's how the Last Supper painting came to be. The thought that anyone could create something so iconic and lasting, whether it's socially profitable, monetarily profitable, whatever, in their off time, really plants a seed to me. And that's what I want this episode to be about. From 2020 forward, I have helped so many aspiring fashion designers and incubating them through their designs. Like I've walked them through the process from a really crappy sketch, uh, practically with a crayon, and some of them are great, (laughs) um, through tech packing their ideas and patterning them and sampling them and sampling them again and changing materials and sampling them yet again and grading them and even manufacturing them that I've got data. (laughs) And the data that I have suggests that Most people who are new to fashion design do it on the side. Like they're doing it on their off hours. They're doing it like as a what if. And I freaking love that because you never know the power of the what if. You never know what could be accomplished in your off time if you really commit to it. So how do you know if you're ready? How do you know if you're ready to start your own clothing line? Like Maybe apprenticing is not the move for you. Maybe you're doing this on the side. Maybe this is like your nighttime warrior hours after you've put the kids down for bed and you've got like three hours before you completely crash and you have been trying to get something out in the world. How do you know if you're ready for that? Are you ready to start your own clothing line? And what does that look like? Number one, you are ready to start your own clothing line if the idea that you have for a garment or a product has not changed in at least two seasons. So for instance, you have an idea for a skirt and it has been winter and spring and you still have the exact same idea. You don't want to change anything about it. Okay, that is an indicator that this design is ready to move forward in the design process. The most common thing that aspiring fashion designers do when they start having their products sampled is they change their idea. Um, Designers tend to adapt their idea as it gets sampled because the moment that they see this idea in real life, they realize that they missed something or the design is not quite hitting the mark just yet. So if your idea has not changed across several wearable seasons, it's a good indicator that you're in safe to spend money on it. Most of the time when designers feel like they're rushing to finish and push a design, They fall prey to seasonal changes and fast fashion trends. Whereas the designer who has a concrete idea and regardless of the season, she has played around with the exact fabric that's going to be used. She has a proper fashion sketch. That sketch has sat up in front of her every day in and out and she's not made a single change for two seasons. Then you know it's ready to move forward. 
So my best advice, if you want to get to the stage where your design is not changing at all, is to move your design out of a Pinterest mood board. Um, For instance, uh, this is the sleeve that I like, and this is the collar that I like, and this is the ruffle, or this is the pleat, or the gather, or the whatever. Um, and then this is the the shape of skirt that I like, or this amount of boxiness. Take it out of the framework of a Pinterest mood board and move it into a hard fashion sketch where you can physically pin it up in front of you or at your desk and look at it every day and make sure that you truly are happy with that design. And once you've gotten to that stage, you can start ordering different swatches of different kinds of material and really hold that material in your hand and ball it up and flatten it out and press it and expose it to the elements and see how it responds so that you can visualize to how that material would um, would culminate into a design if the entire garment was made of it or if, let's say, you're color blocking, if the rest of the garment was made of a different material and this portion of the garment was made of this specific material, is it going to work in the whole? Not in the part, but in the whole. And so when you're able to look at the fashion sketch in front of you and hold different swatches in your hand in front of you and really let that design sit for a while, that alone is going to save you so much money when it comes to patterning and sampling because you may decide you don't want a welted pocket there or, you know what, this material is not going to look good pleated. (laughs) Um, Or for instance, uh, I have recently been working on a red carpet dress And um, the material that was chosen looks great on a swatch, but when you turn it into an entire dress, it looks costumey. It looks plasticky. And so my solution was actually to turn it inside out and use the inside of the material as the outside so that you could only see a tiny bit of the reflection. And you've turned costumey like a Disney princess costume into a couture dress. So if your designs are this clear, (laughs) sketched out, detailed, specific, and they have not changed in at least two seasons, this is your first sign that you are ready to start your own clothing line. The second sign that you are ready to start your own clothing line is that you have the time to dedicate to the communication and the decision-making that it will require to start and complete your idea. I literally can recount numerous, numerous, numerous times that we've worked with designers who pick up and put down their idea. And it takes years to bring it to the table. There are designs that we've helped people start and they've yet to even get it graded across a size range because it takes them six to eight months to come back with changes to their idea. See number one. If you don't have the time to dedicate to the idea, it will be more expensive. It's going to cost you so much more time. And to be perfectly honest with you, you're not going to come out with a great product. The reason being is because some fabrics are not available forever. So if you start the sampling process and then you wait six to eight months and then you can't get the fabric anymore, you have to start all over with the sampling process with a new material that you just had to pay to find. Another thing that often happens is something that we're going through in my business, and that's that, you know, we are sunsetting being able to work with designers because we're, we're, we have no bandwidth. <laughs> we're booked for the entire year. And so what happens is different designers who have taken a year to two years to truly finesse out and finalize their ideas and get them ready for manufacturing, they're learning that they're going to have to find a new provider all the way through. Because, you know, the original choice, the seamstress, the pattern maker, the 
Pattern Grader, the manufacturer that they had chosen, is no longer in business doing that anymore, whether it's a bandwidth issue or they've gone under. And if this has happened to you before, then you know just how frustrating it can be because you could spend six months building a rapport with an incubator or with a pattern maker or a seamstress and they learn what you want and how you communicate your ideas and you start to get on the same page and speaking the same language and then you might pause because you go back to school or your family gets busy and then you come back to the idea when you have free time and yet they've moved on to help their next client and your idea has taken the back burner and they've got to find a place to be able to fit you in. And then when they dig out those patterns or those samples and they start going through it, they don't even remember what was going on or what the exact design choices were. So it gets to be extremely time consuming when you take your time, not just because you're going at your own pace, but because the moment that you invite collaborators to the table all of your schedules have to align to be able to bring this design to fruition. So it's super important that from the beginning, you have a reasonable timetable and a reasonable expectation for when you want to get this line out into the world. And by that, if you reverse engineer it, how much time you have to perfect each design in your line. And by working with your pattern maker and your seamstress from the start, understanding when you'd like to get it out there, they can give you a better idea of where that's going to fit in with their schedule and whether it's doable or not. So yes, you could paint the Lord's Supper in your free time. <laughs> However, even Da Vinci had a plan as to how he would go about his painting. Number three is just as important as number two, and that is that you have the resources set aside you've got the money allocated towards these ideas. The last person that you want to be bartering with or nickel and diming or haggling and negotiating with is your pattern maker or your seamstress. This stuff costs money. <laughs> and most likely the person that you're hiring to pattern has spent tens and tens of thousands of dollars learning exactly how to do what you're asking them to do. And if you're wanting a commercial pattern, this isn't something that a private pattern maker who cobbles together simplicity patterns can do for you. These patterns need to be commercial grade and they need to make sense if you were to put them into markers and print them out in a factory setting. Just to give you a quick rundown of estimates on what it costs to go through the patterning and the sampling process alone, the most common price that we would end up charging people for samples was about $275, I want to say. That was the average with uh, the minimum being like $175 or $150. And we're talking that's like baby onesie. Um, and the maximum being about $800. And that was for a more complex coat. So um, while that pricing is specific to 2021 and 2022, at least it gives you a rough framework for about what something would cost just to get it patterned. And that's only like if you had a reference garment, um, let's say like you had a dress that you really liked, but you wanted to change the waistband and the sleeve, but you really like these measurements, then your pattern maker could pull the measurements off of that base garment and then make the changes to match your design. So that's what you would pay in a pattern just an average oddball guess. And then you've also got to pay for all of your supplies and your notions, which could be anywhere from like $3 a yard to $300 a yard. It just really depends on what you're making and what fabrics and materials you've chosen. Um, 
we were incubating a designer who was working on bags that converted into like different shapes and worked for different uses. And just in the notions alone, I mean, she had carabiners and sliders and everything. It was very easy for the sampling of one product to reach over $20 in just the hardware alone. And so all of these things need to be factored in because it's very rare to make less than two samples of a garment. And you're going to have to supply all of the materials and the notions and the interfacings and stabilizers and liners and anything that you would actually need to make the garment or the item, whether it's boning or uh, horsehair or whatever, you've got to be able to send that to your seamstress along with the pattern when it comes time and you're ready to sample. And all of that adds up and it's really, really common for aspiring and newer fashion designers to not factor all of these things together in their head because at this point in time, they may have spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars getting a pattern and getting the materials, but they haven't even gotten into the sampling process yet. And God forbid their idea wasn't super clear in the very beginning, they're going to end up having to go back to patterning and repattern things if their idea wasn't clear and they need something patterned differently um, after it's been sampled once. And so... It's really, really common to spend a ton of time getting your fashion sketch and your tech, le- your tech sketch or your flat lay sketch really specific and concrete before it goes to patterning because what you don't want to do is pay your pattern maker to do something twice. <laughs> um, slight little changes and adaptations are no big deal and super, super normal, whereas um, a full changeover on a sleeve or making more allowance for pleats and tucks and ruffles and all of that um, gets to be a little bit trickier later on um, the further that you get into the process. And so you want to have the money allocated for those patterns and for those supplies. And that's then leading into the sampling process, which some seamstresses will charge you a flat fee because they know just how much is going to go into that interaction of getting the sampling process right. And then some of them will charge you like an a la carte process where like, that's what I always did was I would charge, um, oh, this garment to have it sampled the first time is going to cost this much. And that includes an order of operations that's going to go into your tech pack because nobody can truly say what the order of operations is without making the garment themselves because you know you may say like oh to put together a pair of pants I'm going to need to put together you know the pockets on the front panel and then the inseam and then or, or the center front and then the center back and then the inseam of the front to the back but then they may not have it factored in that uh, there's a partial liner for the front of the pant and it gets worked into the side seams um, of the of the front, front panel. Um, you'll never know unless you've actually made the garment. And so the way that I would always go about it, would I would say, okay, your first sample is going to run this much. And I would include the order of operations within that. Um, and some people say, nope, uh, we don't sample for less than $1,000. It'll be on a retainer and we're going to charge you this. We'll work off of it. If there's anything left, it can be applied towards your next sample. Every business runs differently, but you have to know up front what it's going to run to be able to go through these steps. And oftentimes, a pattern maker will not quote out a pattern without seeing the sample garment or without seeing a tech pack. Um, a seamstress will not quote it out until they've seen the tech pack and they've seen the material and held it in their hands because. A pair of pants out of a linen is a totally different story than a pair of pants out of like a PVC, like a pleather or, you know, or a leather. It's just, it's a completely different ball game. And so you want to have as many details as possible up front so that you can get the clearest quotes possible. And that way you don't end up deep in the process and then you run out of money because you didn't factor correctly. 
And then once you've finished tech packing it and patterning it and sampling it and buying all the materials and supplies that you need for it, you're going to have to create that pattern. So best case scenario, you only need one sample. That never happens. So you're going to need to pay twice. So you'll get two samples because you're going to make some changes after your first sample. Um, For example, let's say you love this one dress. You love the measurements off of it. You want to make it in your own color, uh, in your own fabric, and you just want to change the sleeve. So your pattern maker patterns that dress, changes the sleeve, and then sends the pattern to your seamstress. Your seamstress receives the material that you used and makes a sample out of it, and then you get it. You're so excited to unwrap it, and you put it on, and what? It doesn't fit. (laughs) And so then you cross-check the measurements with the sample that you sent, and you're like, they're right. But that's the thing, is not all fabrics are created equal. They're definitely created to not be equal. So... What you didn't factor for was that the same dress, the same size made out of a different garment is going to have different amounts of bulk or less stretch or more stretch. And so it's always necessary to sample it at least twice anyways because you've changed the fabric, especially if you're going off of something with like a a, a sample to start with. It's always going to change. Your fabric is always going to drape or lay or pleat or fold differently than the original sample that you started with. So go ahead and factor up front. You're going to have to make two samples. It is what it is. This is fashion design. That's, that's fashion. So once you've done all of those steps and you're absolutely happy with your final sample, this is the sample that you want to send to the manufacturer and say, hey, do this. Now you got to grade your pattern. So let's say your sample size was a size small. But you want to be able to sell an extra small through like 4X. Okay. Grading that pattern could run anywhere from $200 to $600. It just depends. I mean, it could be even more. But on average, that's about what we tend to look at, um, depending on how many pieces, like pattern pieces are involved in the pattern. So now you've got to foot the bill to grade the pattern across all of your size range. Okay, now are you ready to manufacture No, no, you're not. I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you sampled it as a size small and then you graded that all the way up to a 4X, what you've got to understand is those proportions are not going to be the exact same. And even though your pattern maker knows grade rules and is implementing different grade rules that work for different body types and different sizes, the best possible thing that you could do, the best thing that you could do is run a sample in every size before you go to manufacturing. The reason being is because let's say you get up to a size 2X and that armhole needs to get opened up a little bit more than a size small would. You really, really don't want to receive 200 garments that you've ordered in a size 2X and 200 in a 3X and 200 in a 4X just to find that out. And then you're sitting on all of that product, 600 units, and you can't sell it because of one bad review saying the armhole's too tight for my size and I'm a 2X. You really don't want that. You'd rather pay a batch price sample and know that up front and just make the adaptation to that one size or those three sizes rather than finding out the hard way because you wanted to save a couple hundred bucks and then inevitably you lost a couple thousand. So you are truly not ready to start your clothing line if you don't have the money allocated for each of these steps. Because when all of that is done, six months down the road, when all of this process is over with, on average six months, 
Now you've got to be able to pay for manufacturing. And guess what? At the time that I'm recording this, most manufacturers are now requiring 100% upfront before they ever start cutting or manufacturing. Before it ever touches the sewing or the cutting floor, they need 100% of the money upfront. So let's say you're launching a collection of three or four things, and on average those things cost $50, and you have 100 garments of each design manufactured, that's $20,000. <laughs> Dang, right? So you've got to start factoring things in and preparing for the big day when everything goes to manufacturing and they want you to sign on the dotted line and submit a check. Now in the next episode, I'm going to tell you how I would go about funding all of that if it were me. But as for right now, I just want you to keep these figures in your head going forward, regardless of whether you want to manufacture a hundred of each thing or four designs in an entire line, or if you just want to manufacture 20 of each thing, just have these soft numbers tucked away in your mind to be ready for it. And that way your project doesn't get delayed even further. Number four, you have a concrete, real audience, a real buyer to purchase this garment. Because oftentimes when people get into designing a garment, they don't realize until it's too late that they're only designing it for themselves. They're not designing it for a whole audience of people. Therefore, they're spending tens of thousands of dollars all in creating a garment that truly only they need or want or want to use. So my advice is that you need to have a concrete launch strategy to a real audience. So rather than trying to invent an audience, and this sounds crazy, but more people do it than than you would think. So rather than trying to invent an audience, start a brand with the mentality that your brand's clothing is merely one extension of that brand. It is not the entire brand. The clothing is one piece of it, which means you can start now. You want to have a quantifiable group of people that this product or this garment or this entire clothing line is geared towards. That way you're not fighting and you're not swimming upstream just trying to get people to understand you. Designers who design on a whim without a clearly thought out design strategy tend to end up with no one to sell to. As a designer, if you are trying to become a designer, you need to put your mind in the headspace that you serve other people, that your designs are to serve a group of people or um, a type of person or a specific audience. And that way your thinking is switched from what you want to what they want. And yes, you need to be designing things that you are excited about and passionate about, but also Make sure that there's an audience that is bigger than just you before you go investing all of this money and time in this idea because what you don't want is to be spending all of your energy and your marketing dollars and time in trying to get people to understand your product. So I hope that these four tips have given you clarity as to where you are in the process. If you are an aspiring designer and you have all of these ideas and you're just not quite sure or you don't know what you don't know, so it gets really, really intimidating. But if you've got these four things on lock and you're ready or you at least have a concrete plan as to getting the answers or getting what you need out of these four things, you're on your way and you're ready to start your own clothing line. Make sure that you are subscribed to Pull the Thread because next week's episode is the top four mistakes that new fashion designers make when having their designs manufactured. And I really can't wait to share those with you because I've had a front row seat to all of them. So if you take away anything from this week, let it be that with the right amount of planning, 
You can pull off truly great, incredible things just in your free time. See you next week.